Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, if you're a guest or visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King, and uh, it's good to see you. We are in Exodus chapter 20, Exodus 20, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, our passage this morning is just one verse, uh, verse 12 of Exodus 20. Now, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus was asked the question, or the question was posed, what is the great commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And he said, the first and greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that the entirety of the prophets and of the law are built upon those two commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love neighbor. Now, in one sense, that's how the Ten Commandments are structured. The first four commandments are dealing primarily with our love for God, and five through ten deal primarily with our love for neighbor. Now, there is a lot of overlap, right? As we love our Lord, our God, we will naturally love our neighbor. And as we love our neighbor, we are doing so hopefully out of response to our love for God, that they overlap and one bleeds into the other. But, but regardless, it seems as though the Ten Commandments are structured almost in that way, with an emphasis towards love God and love neighbor. And where we begin to learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves is in our home. It's in the family. And that's where the fifth commandment takes us this morning in verse 12. So if you would, follow along. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would lead us in the way that we are to go. That you would open our eyes and soften our hearts. That you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our spirits to be pleasing to you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. So by far and away, my favorite book of all time is To Kill a Mockingbird. I love To Kill a Mockingbird. It's, it's this wonderful, wonderful story of, of justice and truth of childhood and family. I love it because I love Atticus Finch. Atticus is my favorite, by far and away, literary character of all time. In fact, some of you know Cole's middle name is Atticus. Um, Atticus Penny Legion was too much, so it's his middle name. <laughs> But I love Atticus because Atticus knows what is true and what is right. He's a man who lives out of integrity. He does what is right and what is true, even when it's unpopular. And if you've read the book, if you've seen the movie, then you know that, that he is put on the spot. His integrity is on the line at the center of this book. Because at the center of this book is a trial. A man, a black man in Alabama in the deep south during a time when, when race was divided, he was wrongfully accused of a crime he never committed. And no one would take the case, if you remember. No one would take the case. No one would defend him. But Atticus was asked that he would defend this man, Tom. And so, because of his integrity, because he knew what was right, he went and did so. To the chagrin of his family, to the concern of his friends... In fact, you remember his daughter, Jean Louise, or, or Scout, as she's better known. She comes to Atticus and asks, why would you do this? Everyone thinks this is crazy, that you have no reason to defend this man. Why would you do it? And Atticus says to her, if I didn't, I couldn't hold my head in town. 
I couldn't represent the county in the legislature. I couldn't even tell you and Jem not to do something again. You see, out of his principles of truth and justice, he defends this man. And if you've read the book, if you've watched the movie, then you know how this plays out because over the course of the trial, it becomes very apparent very quickly that this man, Tom, is innocent and that the man who accused him of this crime, he is the one who perpetrated the crime himself, that he is the one who should be standing trial. He's innocent. And so when the jury goes back to deliberate, we expect that despite the years of injustice, despite the the racial divide that would cause this man to be convicted, we believe, we think that surely justice will finally be served. That the jury will come out and declare not guilty. But if you've read the book, if you've seen the movie, then you know that's not how it ends. That they come out, and despite all the evidence... Despite what is clear, they say guilty. They say guilty. I have to tell you, every time I read the book, and I've read it countless times, every time I read the book, I I hope that maybe I misremembered it. (laughs) That maybe maybe I just skimmed over it. Maybe I got it wrong. But sure enough, every time, guilty. And as the courtroom is emptying out after the verdict has been declared... Atticus is left at his table, at his desk. He's sitting there. He's pulling together the papers. He's alone in the courtroom, and he puts them in his briefcase, and he starts to walk towards the door. And as he approaches the door, he approaches the balcony overhead where the the black people of the town have been relegated, that they couldn't watch the trial from below. They had to be in the balcony, and he approaches the balcony, and there in the front row of the balcony is his daughter, Scout. She's sitting on the floor, grasping hold of the railings, looking, fixated upon her father. And as she's sitting there looking at him, she feels a little nudge. You remember, she feels a little nudge in her side, and she looks up through eyes filled with tears, and there's the African-American pastor of the town nudging her. And she looks up, and he says to her, Jean Louise, stand up. Your father's passing. Every time. Gosh, your father's passing. And Jean Louise looks and every single person in that balcony is standing in honor of this man who is walking by. They're looking down and giving him the honor, not because justice has been served and not because the case has been won because it hasn't, but because of the man that he is. And because what he's standing for, they stand in honor. To honor means to hold someone or something in high regard. This word that is used in verse 12, to honor our fathers and our mothers, this is the Hebrew word that literally means to be weighty, to be heavy. It's the same word that is often used for God's own glory, the the weightiness of divine majesty. One theologian put it this way, that to honor one's parents is to give due weight to their position. To honor is to respect, esteem, value, and prize fathers and mothers as gifts from God. That that is how we are to honor our father and our mother. 
Not because they're perfect, not because they got it right every single time, but because of the position that they hold, that we are to honor them, that we are to figuratively stand when they walk by. Now listen, before we get to honoring father and mother, we do have to acknowledge that throughout uh, theological history, especially the reform world, has applied this passage very broadly to refer to any position of honor, be it government or work or marriage or the church. And I think it is applied rightly that way. The Westminster Catechism and, and the Heidelberg Catechism applies it to all spheres where there is one who has authority over another, and I think rightfully so. But where we learn this principle of honoring those in authority, where we learn it first is in the family. Where we learn it first is from father to son and daughter to mother, that we learn to honor our parents. Okay, so what does honoring our parents look like? How do we honor our parents? Well, the first way that we honor them is through obedience. Obedience. So Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teachings. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. And Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Okay, so kids, from God's perspective, the way that you honor your parents, what your job is, is to obey your parents. You are to obey them because God has put them in your life so that they can think for what is best for you. Now, I know it doesn't always feel that way, <laughs> right? When they're telling you to uh, clean up your room, when they're telling you to clean your plate, when they're telling you to, to uh, pack up your bag and head to school, when they're telling you to go to bed, Go to bed, for goodness sakes, please go to bed. When they're telling you that, it is for your own good. It is for your good. They're not trying to rob you of joy, and they're not trying to steal you of fun. They have your best in mind, that you are to obey your parents, that God has given you these parents because he cares for you, because he loves you. Now listen, in our culture, it is almost a foregone conclusion that a rite of passage amongst teenagers is that teenagers will rebel. It's almost a foregone conclusion. We just assume it's going to happen. And I'm not talking about just kind of taking on natural responsibility, growing in what it means to be an individual. That's not what I'm talking about. Our culture assumes that uh, teenage angst and re rebel without a cause is just normal. But let me just encourage you students that that's not the case. And it doesn't have to be. You have heard me talk many times from this pulpit about how as Christians we have to resist the cultural pressures of our world and lead distinctively Christian lives. And oftentimes the way we talk about it is with our words, with our actions, how we do this vocationally. But for you as children and as students, one way that you can lead a distinctively Christian life, life is by obeying your parents is by resisting the cultural pressure to rebel. Now, does this mean that maybe some of your friends are going to make fun of you and laugh at you? They might. Does it mean that you may be misunderstood by your peers? Probably. 
But let me ask you this question. Is it not better to be laughed at by your peers and to obey the Lord by honoring your parents than to be received by them and rebel against God? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. That students, you can lead a distinctively Christian life by simply obeying your parents and honoring them. And that is good. It is good. Your parents are there for you because God loves you, because they will, are to lead you and direct you in the way that you are to go. Now, I imagine that some of you maybe are sitting there wondering, but, but what about those family situations where the parents aren't Christians? Because some of you are living in one of those right now. Or maybe some of you have grown up in a household where your parents weren't Christians. So does this mean that regardless of what they tell you, even if they are saying things that are contrary to God's word, that you should just simply obey them, not even think about it? Let me just say that, that our ultimate honor belongs to our heavenly father before any earthly father. And so there are countless places I could turn us to. Countless places in the Old Testament, there's Acts and Peter and John saying, we will honor the Lord. But Jesus himself said, do you think I came to give peace on earth? No, I tell you rather division. They will be divided, father against son, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. And so what Jesus is saying is that for some to follow Jesus means to, to, to turn from the leading of our parents. Now, now, teenagers, kids, before you start claiming that against your parents, <laughs> you need to weigh what they are saying against Scripture and against truth. But even if you find yourself in a situation of whether it's your parents or some other form of authority over you that that whether you find yourself in a place where you are being called and invited and encouraged to do those things that are contrary to God's word, even as you disregard that counsel, you can still do so out of love and honor and respect. That does not mean that you just thumb your nose up at them, even as you disregard their counsel. But that even as we seek to follow Jesus... And perhaps being received by Christ might lead us to being rejected by family. And some of you know what this is like. Even as we do so, we can do so with respect. And that's the second thing that honor includes. It's not just obedience, but it's also respect. So in Proverbs 23:22, the author says, says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. What a wonderful passage. Do not despise your mother when she is old. So what this means is that every single one of us who is a child of someone, which means every single one of us, regardless of whether you're 8 or 38 or 58, you are to respect your mother and father. That we should not despise them when they are old. So this might mean that we take care of them. 
So Jesus, in uh, Matthew chapter 15, he has this conversation with the Pharisees, and like so often, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees' misappropriation of the law. So he comes to them, and he says to them, God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Now, I can imagine the Pharisees, they know the law. They know Jesus is just quoting from the Old Testament, and so I could imagine the Pharisees are sitting there going, yeah, that's right, preach it, Jesus. We know that one. But then he goes on. He says, but you say, God's law says, but you say, if anyone tells his father and mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Okay, so what, what's happening here is that the Pharisees understood this principle that they were to care for their parents as their parents got older. And so they had material possessions, be it money or property or whatever it might be, and they were supposed to set these things aside to care for their parents. But what the Pharisees said was, you know what, we kind of don't really like this because that means it's not for us. And so if you, air quotes, devoted this to the Lord, then you don't have to worry about your parents. You can dishonor them. You can just put them aside because these things are given over to spiritual, air quotes again, things. But what did Jesus say? Well, he went on. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. In essence, he's saying that for your own sake, you have put aside God's word. For your own convenience, for your own possessions, for your, out of your own selfishness, you have put aside God's word. Hypocrites. You see, friends, we are to respect our parents when we're dependent upon them, but also when they're dependent upon us. And so for some of us, what this might look like is that as our parents age, as they get older, that it might mean that we invite them into our homes and we care for them in that way. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It might mean that as our parents age and they get older that we're helping them to be placed in assisted living or, or places where they can receive the help and the aid and the care that they need. But regardless of how it is that we respect them, we are to respect them, that we are to honor them now, this is contrary to our culture as well, isn't it? Because we live in a utilitarian and pragmatic culture, and so we only value those things and those people that can produce. And so we devalue the young and we devalue the old. But not God's people. Not God's people. We respect. We honor. And let me just say, as a younger man, can, can I still qualify as a younger man? Maybe until I'm 40, I can be a younger man. How about that? So as a younger man, I'm watching some of y'all do this very thing. I'm watching y'all do this. I'm watching the ways that you are caring for your parents by going and seeing them in the assisted living, by taking them to the emergency room late at night, by, by taking them to the doctor, by helping financing their medical bills, by getting your homes ready to receive them when they need to come. I'm watching y'all do it, and it is beautiful. Because many of you are doing this very thing. 
You are honoring your father and mother even as they are dependent upon you. You're respecting them and caring for them and loving them. And that is how we are to live as God's people. But I know that many of us aren't in that place, and so maybe we're wondering, well, what does it look like for us to honor and respect? And so I've got two words for us. Two very simple words, kids. I got this from another pastor, but it was good, so I'm just going to steal it from him, and that's all right. Two simple words, yes and thanks. So you can start that today, yes and thanks, those two words. When mom or dad says, can you clean up your room, you just say yes and go clean up your room. When mom and dad say, it's time to come to dinner, you say yes and you come and sit at the table. When it's time to clean up your bags and turn your light out or, or go to bed, turn your radio off, whatever it might be, you say yes, and you do it. Not, not just wait a minute, not hold on a second, not but, 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 just yes. And afterwards, you say thanks. Thanks for taking me to soccer. Thanks for making that meal and making me eat it, even though I really don't like that meal and I don't want to eat all those green vegetables. Don't say those things. Just say thank you. <laughs> Thanks for using your money and your time to love me. But you know what? So, so this has been directed a lot at teenagers and young children, but the truth is, is that as adults, we can say those two things as well. Very easily. It might be thank you. Thank you for the ways that you provided. It might be thank you. Thank you for speaking truth into my life when I didn't even know it was truth and I thought you were crazy. Thank you. Two words, yes and thanks. You say those two words and you are on the road to honoring father and mother. Okay, so that's how we honor our authorities. That's how we honor father and mother. But let's now look at the blessing of honor. The blessing that comes with honor. Look at our passage in verse 12. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, so God could have said obey. Do it and do it because I said so. And he kind of sort of does that in Ephesians and Colossians, right? Because he has the authority to do so. But here he's giving a tangible benefit. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. Now, at first, that kind of sounds like God saying, if you honor your father and mother, then you're going to, you're going to have long life. Honor authority and you'll live into your 90s and beyond. But, but that's not what God means by this. At least that's not what I think this phrase means. Now, you see, what I think be long in the land is getting at is living in the midst of God's blessing. It's living in the midst of God's blessing. Think about the context. So the context is that, that Israel is coming out of slavery. They're moving through the wilderness and they're entering the land. And as they enter the land, they're supposed to live in complete obedience to God. That they are now to be this people who is set apart and they're living in the land as a reflection to all the nations, to all the world of what right living looks like. And as they obey God, they experience his blessing. They experience his care and his love. And so that's what I think that this is meaning. That as children go into the land and as they obey their father and mother, as they honor them, that they are living as they were intended to live. 
And as they live as they were intended to live, that encompasses, that is in the center of God's blessing. And so you know what that means? It means, kids, your parents' primary role is not to be your buddy or to be your friend. Now, over time, that will happen and that will evolve, but their primary role is to instruct you in the way that you are to go. Parents, that's our responsibility, to instruct them, to lead them, to direct them. As time goes on, that will look less and less, perhaps, that they are given more responsibility, but that is what we are to do. And as we honor our father and our mother, we are living as God intended us, and we experience his blessing. Now, I imagine that maybe some of us are thinking, well, that sounds wonderful. I mean, to sit in the middle of God's blessing, that sounds great. That's what we were intended for, and so it should. And, and yes and thanks, that is simple. I can do that, no problem. But then we start thinking about it a little bit more. And we realize that although those two words are really simple, that, that I've got some other words I maybe need to say as well. Not just yes and thanks, but maybe words like I'm sorry. I haven't honored God by honoring father and mother as I ought. Maybe some of us are feeling that. I know there are times that I have. Maybe some of us are feeling that, and so we're feeling the weight of this, that we have not measured up. And, and if you are feeling that, then good. <laughs> because that means that God's word is doing exactly what it was intended to do. You see, one of the purposes of the law is to show us how we do not live up to the law. And it shows us how we have fallen short of the law, not so that we would fall into despondency or despair, but that we would actually turn our eyes to the one who has perfectly fulfilled the law. And friends, Christ has. He has perfectly fulfilled this commandment of honoring father and mother. So let's remind ourselves of how he did this. Do you remember in Luke 2? Jesus is 12 years old, and his parents have taken him up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so they go, they sacrifice, they worship, and they start returning home. They start heading back. And there's a caravan of people, and so Jesus would be in the midst of this caravan. And they're heading back. And after a day's journey, Mary and Joseph look around and they're wondering, uh, where's Jesus? A day's journey. Okay, can I just say, so for all of those who feel really guilty for, for getting our kids for 10 minutes in the nursery, like a day's journey maybe isn't as, right? <laughs> so what do they do? They start heading back. So really, it's now two days journey, right? A day out, a day back. They're without Jesus, and they get to Jerusalem, we can imagine it, they're scouring the city, they're looking everywhere, and they finally show up at the temple, and there he is, right? And he's just sitting there, having a good dialogue with the teachers of the law, right? Asking them probing questions, and, and Mary comes up to Jesus, and she says, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Basically, she's saying, we have been worried sick. Do you all know that feeling in the pit of your stomach when, when you're at the playground and you turn your eyes away for like 30 seconds and your kid is darted? And like you find them two minutes later, but it feels like it's been three hours? That's what Mary's experiencing. We have been worried sick. And so what does Jesus say? Basically, he says, well, of course I was in my father's house. Where else would I be? But then we're told in Luke that he went down with them. 
and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. All right, let that sink in for a minute. Jesus was submissive to them. Hey, kids, uh, do you ever feel like uh, your parents have no idea the world that you're living in? Like, they don't really understand, and they, they don't know as much as you do, right? You're, you're probably experiencing this if you're, like, 12 to, like, 17, maybe, okay? All of us have experienced this, right? We look at our parents, and we think, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Maybe some of us, even us younger men, uh, still feel that way a little bit. But I want you to let this sit in for a minute, that the creator of the universe, the king over all creation, the one who actually formed the dust in which Mary and Joseph are walking on and created them is submissive to his earthly parents. Do you think Jesus knew more than they did? Just maybe a little bit. Not sure. Of course he did, and yet he submitted to his earthly parents. So listen, even if you really do know more than your parents... You're still supposed to submit to them. That's what Christ did. He submitted to them. He honored them in his childhood, but it doesn't stop there. He continues on. He continues on. As an adult, he cared for them. Do you remember on the cross, Jesus is nailed to the cross, and he's bearing the punishment and judgment of God and the sins of the world. He's taking it upon himself, and he looks down from the cross, and he sees his mother Mary, and close to her is his disciple John. And he looks at Mary, and he says, Mother, woman, behold your son. And he looks at John, and he says, Behold your mother. And we're told that from that hour henceforth, John, Excuse me, John took her into his house and cared for her. Most commentators think that what this indicates is that Joseph had already died. And so that Mary was going to be left to herself with Jesus' death. And so Jesus, dying on the cross, is not just concerned for his life and death, but he's concerned for the well-being of his mother after he is gone. With some of his last breaths, he was ensuring that his mother would be cared for. As a child, he honored them and obeyed them. As an adult, he cared for them. And with his whole life, Christ honored his heavenly father. There are countless places we can turn, but the one that I always think of is the one in the garden. You remember on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And he asked his heavenly father, take this cup of wrath from me. Let there be another way, but then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he willingly went to the cross to fulfill what had been planned before the beginning of time, to die for the sins of his people, to die for those who would and have broken the fifth commandment. He honored his father and mother because we have not. He honored his heavenly father because we have not. He perfectly obeyed. He died and rose again so that we would have the right, even though our words and our actions mean that we should be orphans, he died and rose again so that we would have the right to call God our heavenly father and that we'd be ushered into his family. He honored his heavenly father, for those who have not, so that we would be God's children, brothers and sisters of the Lord, so that we 
be it parents that are physical or spiritual, that we would give them the honor that they are due. Christ honored this commandment. He kept it for you so that we would respond in obedience to him. And so let us honor not only our fathers and mothers, but our Father who is in heaven, who calls us to do so. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the truth and the surety that Christ, you have fulfilled this command. That where we have fallen short, Lord Jesus, you have kept it. That you have done what we could not do. You have done what in our flesh we have failed to do. And so we ask that you would help us now to live lives that give honor to our Heavenly Father. That we would obey and respect our parents. That we would care for them and love them. And that we would honor them with our lives. Help us to do this so in so doing we would bring you honor and glory. For you are our God and our King in whose name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.